Everything you need is already inside of you. The world would not be what it is without you. When we begin to create change within us, we begin to create change in the world around us. Your journey to becoming your best self as the whole person starts right now. Welcome to the Rise Up For You podcast. I'm your host, Georgia Close. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is here to serve you and stand alongside your journey to becoming your best self. Through speaking with industry experts, authors, and amazing individuals throughout the world who have a message to share, we're bringing you empowerment, inspiration, and strategies that you can use instantly to implement in your life. Our focus is on the whole person, and research shows that the happiest people in the world, the most filled countries in the world, are the ones that make time to nurture and build their relationships, their money, their self-worth, careers, love, life, and health. And when we feel great within us as a whole person, then and only then can we create positive change around us. So today it is my pleasure to have James Creighton and we're going to be talking about, again, one of our favorite subjects um, and probably also for a lot of us, a very sore subject, but relationships, uh, both professionally, uh, family relationships, friend relationships, and love relationships. So uh, Jim... I always like to have our guests introduce themselves and say a few words so our guests can get to know you. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Okay. Well, I trained as a psychologist, but I never been never practiced as a therapist. I've all the time I've been primarily doing training and work, working with couples. I uh, helped with uh, a program at the uh, Cancer Sport and Education Center. Uh, helping, in fact, co-authored a book with Carl and Stephanie Simonton about uh, the work with the, with cancer patients. Have um, mm. done training all around the world. And in fact, most recently, one of the more exciting programs was an earlier book of mine, How Loving Couples Fight, which mm. translated to Thai. And we developed a training course for Thai mental health workers. And I went over and did that. Uh, but basically wow. worked with many couples, uh, my wife and I have been married 53 years, so I guess we're going to make it. <laughs> I guess you are. <laughs> That's quite the accomplishment. And does she work with you and train with you as well? She does. Uh, we've done a lot of the training together, and uh, she's gone around the world too. And you've done training courses in Russia and the Republic of Georgia and other places like that. And uh, she's also set up other programs on her own. And Cancer Support and Education Center, actually, she was the director of that. Wow. Well, can I ask you, what was your, what was your aha moment? You've been doing this for a long time um, and, you know, growing in it and obviously your program and what you've written and the content you've put out there is continually kind of perpetuating itself. But what was your aha moment at the very beginning when you just realized 
I, I have to start doing this. I have to start making this my profession. Well, it, I really began working hard at developing the skills when we congr- created a conglomerate family with, with five teenage children. Oh, wow. <laughs> the line between bravery and foolhardiness is very thin. <laughs> and and uh, I found that my academic training in psychology wasn't helping me very much. I, the time I went to school, there were the, uh, the rat runners were predominating and so on. And uh, so I got involved as a parent in a program called Parent Effectiveness Training. And mm. uh, we worked uh, hard together at learning those skills and eventually became instructors. And I became a, a regional director of PET back in the very early days. Uh, but that helped, that probably was the single most important influence. We learned some of the skills that are even in this book uh, way back then. But basically, wow. uh, you know, all couples fight and some couples fight a lot. And we were in that latter category. Uh, we fought a lot and it hurt, and I wanted to figure out how to do it differently. And uh, so this is this is what I've learned over the last 50 years, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Well, when I was kind of reading up on you a little bit, I got so excited to interview you tonight because, yeah, I've, you know, experienced similar to what you've experienced, and... I want to know. I think our whole audience is dying to know. So how do you transition from that couple that fights a lot to working together like what you guys are doing, teaching couples communication and conflict resolution all over the world? How how did that happen? What's the key ingredient? <laughs> well, that once we had acquired certain skills uh, and uh, felt felt we had something we could pass on to others. Boy, uh, we we began doing all kinds of training, and it's just one thing just led to another, led to another, and so forth and so on. Um, but it's it's not of the point that we still get invites, and we have some skills that help us dig out from them, uh, so that we don't go we don't get as far into the fight, and uh, we get over them a little faster. And so on, but uh, these are not skills for people who never fight. These are skills for people for whom it's an issue. Wow. Okay. Well, I know. um, I know you. You've actually also been a mediator for people, companies like Hewlett Packard, and even some government clients. Um, What was? What were some of the most interesting things you uncovered in mediating situations like that? Was there a common theme in some of those, you know, high level business discussions to our personal relationships? Well, conflicts escalate pretty much following a certain pattern, whether it's personal conflicts or organizational conflicts. Uh, I think the uh, single most important thing is that Everybody feels like they have to be heard. They have to be listened mm. to. And that's kind of the opening. That's the opening sequence. So a lot of the work we've done is in a field called public participation, which is designing processes for uh, government agencies, utility companies, and so on. People who are going to 
potentially do something controversial that they can consult with the public before they make the decision. Uh, that, by the way, is also an important thing, is that people want to be included, and they want to be included before decisions have been made so that they have some real influence mm. and so on. That's a really good point you make there, something we don't necessarily think about right off the bat, especially not when we're fighting with our loved one. Yeah. Well, and th- that fighting with a loved one is, I think, is is, is harder than the de- dealing with the public disputes. Because nobody pushes your buttons the way that uh, a loved one does, and uh, we we much more quickly escalate with our loved ones uh, than we do with anyone else. So if you can if you can learn to really be skilled with uh, your loved ones, I think you'll find that the other stuff follows pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am. I want to find myself on that track as well as I'm sure everybody else out there. Um, what would you, I mean, how long have you been in this field? How long have you been teaching? Well, the public participation work actually began in the early seventies. So it, it's been a long, long time. Uh, my work parent effectiveness training went back to the late sixties. And so, uh, I had had to teach for a while before I really felt I had something to offer. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, I think one thing I want to talk about, one of the things, commonalities, is uh, I mentioned the word escalation. Yes. And one of the things we noticed is uh, whether it's in individuals or it's organizations, that uh, there's kind of a series of steps that get followed. And the first step is um, kind of blaming, accusing uh, the other, you know, you did this, you did that, so forth and so right. on. But that often escalates into name calling. You're this kind yes. of person, that kind of person, so forth and so on. Uh, after that, what happens is uh, expanding the issue. And what I mean by that is you you start off with uh, being upset because the cap was let off the toothpaste. And uh, after the cap is left off the toothpaste lens, you're always so messy <laughs> and uh, you're messy in everything and you're, you're, you're irresponsible in life. And, uh, so it's, it's gone all the way already from the cap on the toothpaste to you're a totally irresponsible person. And then, uh, what happens after expanding the issue is that you, uh, you use allies as ammunition. So you, it's not just me that feels this way. Your mother said blah, 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 and so forth. Yeah. Your sister did, and so forth. And uh, in some families, they uh, they literally bring others in to, to get at each other and so forth and so on. And the worst of all is they use the kids as yeah. uh, ammunition. So if you knew what your father did, and so forth and so on. Uh, finally, it gets up to the, uh, the, the extreme stages the whole point of the fight becomes to hurt the other person, either verbally or uh, sometimes even physically. And mm-hmm. at that point, you kind of completely lost touch with the fact that you actually love this person. You're now just, uh, you know, it's a fight to the psychological death, if you will. So, on. so what we've tried to do is. Um, First of all, recognize the stage, which is 
stage we're at, if you can catch yourself where you can see what you're doing and you can say, oh, I'm bringing in other people as ammunition and so on, you can stop. Uh, but my, what my wife and I have done is to set some mutual rules. Because my observation is what happens is he comes into a relationship with his family's rules about how to handle fights. She comes in with her rules about how to handle fights. And uh, they never the twain shall meet. And mm -hmm. soon you have a problem unless you can come up with, instead of his rules and her rules, you have to come up with our rules. Um, mm. Examples are uh, don't use other people as ammunition, don't expand the issue, uh, those kinds of things. Which well, we, my wife and I, for example, have agreed on those. Those two as particularly important rules that we observe once we get into a fight. So you've actually come up with your your own your own book of the law, I guess you could say, between the two of you. Right, and, and ah. admittedly, when we're in the midst of things, uh, we both at times break those rules, but we uh, at least have we have the rules, so I can say, you know, mm. oh, you're expanding the issue, or she can say, you're using other people as ammunition, and we sort of grudgingly, you know, <laughs> kind of admit that and kind of back down to yes. Where we don't use those particular roles. I mean, we, where we don't use those particular behaviors. So. Well, it's been working for 53 years so far, so it's working. We should all take note. <laughs> well, it's working in, in, in conditions of, of, of combat. Not, not always uh, everything is hunky-dory and, and light. In fact, right. we have one of, the, one of the roles that we use. Uh, it's been extremely helpful for us. Um, well, the big big problem whenever you're in a fight is that you have this de desperate need to be understood, yes. and you're you're trying to communicate your feelings as hard and as fast as you can, and they're doing the same thing, and you just every twenty seconds you're contradicting each other. And uh, a rule we've come up with is something called the five minute rule, mm. and the way it works is either person can can call for you can just say five minute rule and you've agreed in advance that once somebody says that you stop dead stop whatever it is you're doing and all you can talk about is who goes first and if you can't agree on that you flip a coin and uh, somebody goes first and that person gets five minutes to say whatever he or she wants the way they want uh, without any interruption and preferably mm -hmm. without body language and return for which the other person then gets five minutes to say whatever he or she wants. And the reason it seems to work is for five minutes, nobody's telling you you're wrong for feeling the way you do. And what happens is much of the heat uh, goes out of it. And in fact, I find about four minutes I'm even beginning to bore myself. <laughs> uh, and if, you, if you're not done at the end of the five minutes, you do another five-minute rule. Oh, and... Uh, it doesn't always end spectacularly. Uh, spectacularly, it may end with just, well, I don't have anything more to say. Yeah. And the result then is that actually is a pretty good result because from there you at another time you can come back and work on it and think about what the person said and so forth and so on. 
but the big thing is you get rid of the resistance. Uh, anytime you resist what the other person is saying, they simply escalate. Yes, and yes. So if you somehow or other, you, the five minutes is a long enough time that you don't feel as resistant and so you can let go or find space inside to listen to the other person. Wow. Well, I know um, you've got a couple books out there and your newest one is called Loving Through Your Differences. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell us about that? Well, I, it has many of the kind of general rules of, of conflict resolution, but particularly I wanted to deal with the issue of uh, separate realities. And what I mean by that is uh, my wife and I go to a movie and uh, I enjoy it and think it's a wonderful film and she was bored to tears. She never did like car chases. Mm-hmm. And uh, we walk out of the uh, we walk out of the movie and I oh that's a fabulous film and so forth and she's a it's a dumb film and you're dumb if you even think <laughs> it was a good film and on on we go. Um, what's happened is that I actually had the experience of excitement or pleasure and so on. Maggie actually had the experience of being bored. And it's true that two people can experience exactly the identical, same identical thing, yet have very different emotional reactions to them. Nobody else has the same set of experiences you have, same mm-hmm. child rearing, the same church, religions background, uh, military experience, whatever it is, and so on, that shapes what something means to you. And as a result, two people can have very different realities. And it doesn't matter too much if it's uh, about the movie, but if it's about child rearing or how you're going to spend your money or sexuality or something Mm -hmm. like that, um, that can be a big deal. And uh, sure. so I wanted to deal with how do you handle conflicts where the other person has a different emotional reality than yours. How do you handle that? My goodness. I'm, I, get, I would guess this happens in every relationship almost. It does. Yeah, it happens in, in any human relationship. Two people will have differences. Now, what happens is a lot of couples find they have a lot of commonalities at first and they, uh, they're they so excited because uh, finally at last I found another person who <laughs> feels the way I do and so forth. And then they hit their first big conflict where suddenly the other person doesn't feel the same way that you do and you have to deal with it. And one of the first things is kind of an attitude shift. Uh, the whole point of talking about different realities is that instead of starting out on the idea the other person is the problem if they just saw things properly everything would work out instead you start on the assumption that we have different realities and we need to understand each other's realities and need to know why they're there sometimes use the example of a couple uh, he comes from an immigrant family that it's really important to show others that you've made it, that you've arrived, and so on. Mm-hmm. And she comes from a working-class family where it's uh, really bad to be above yourself, 
Mm. Uh, she stretched the limits even by going to college and so on. But there are certain cars that you can drive and other cars that are pretentious and ostentatious mm. sure. and so on. And so they get ready to buy a car, and he'd love to buy a Mercedes because that would show people he's arrived. And she couldn't stand the thought of being in a Mercedes. That would be put, you know, putting mm -hmm. herself up with her neighbors and everybody else all the time. And so when they go to go to figure out what kind of car they want, the real issue has rather little to do with what kind of car. It has to do with what the what the cars mean to them hmm. and mean in relationship to other other human beings. So if you can recognize that, you can one begin to talk about it, and two, you can begin to problem solve. Um, um, Wow. Some of the most difficult ones, you have to do some work on yourself to get conscious about what what caused you to feel have the meanings that you bring to the situation. Uh, you right fam family rules are often quite unconscious, and uh, wow. you have to have to discover them and and figure out what your meanings are in order to explain them to the other person. I think I probably know the answer to this question that's popping up in my mind, but um, I'm hoping you'll surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking for just the formula and things, relationships don't seem to work on formulas often, but I mean, it's, this is a lot of work that we're talking about unless you're, you know, a couple that just happens to be that very rare couple that knows you know, and understands the value of listening and understanding the other person and their family of origin and all the things that have gone into who they are today. For most of us, we have to unpack a lot. And it sounds like dig back into even, you know, child rearing. How long does it take to do that with, with a new couple? I mean, how long does it really take to get through to the meat of the issue where, you're both able to hear each other and communicate on a civil level. I think it's continuous. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to give you the answer. I was afraid years. of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it made a considerable difference in our lives early on. Uh, still does and still takes quite a bit of work. And particularly the stuff of finding your meanings and, uh, being able to pass them, explain them to the other person. Um, my wife was born in a family where uh, standing up for yourself was very important. And uh, conflicts were loud and noisy, and uh, uh, she had a brother who had to have a list of enemies at all times, and so on. The, uh, I was born in a family where conflict just wasn't done. Uh, as a child, I could only tell that the adults were sort of itchy, but I didn't know what that meant and so forth. And so um, her her comfort level would go up. If she could talk about things, my comfort level was getting away from, avoiding conflict and so on. So we've had to work hard at uh, adapting our styles and uh, finding finding ways that are acceptable for both people. Uh, yeah. For example, I, I found I had to accept... Uh, if she brought up an issue, I didn't have to deal with her issue right the minute she brought it up, but I did have to deal somewhere within 24 hours 
And one of the things I found was that uh, once we'd agreed on when we were going to do it, like after dinner or you know tomorrow morning or something like that, so I often then would say, oh, the heck with it, let's talk about it now. Because it was like one part of me was the issue had to do with control and not doing everything in her time. And then once that issue went out of the way, then I was uh, happy and pleased to get get to get it over with and not be anxious about whatever's hanging over our heads. Wow. And this book, the the one you've just written here, "Loving Through Your Differences," that is that really for a longtime married couple, newlyweds, people who are looking for a relationship. Who is it really for? I, I would say anybody who's trying to make a really trying to make a relationship work. Got it. Uh, okay. The uh, yeah, it, there's no tips in there for how you find the relationship. Uh, there's tips mm-hmm. in there on how you sustain the relationship once you're in one. Wow, that's great. So it really does span everybody. So if you're looking for a relationship and you're you know, wondering why things haven't worked out. It kind of speaks to that person as well as the, you know, 10 years in person. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Wow. That's great. guess I need to get it for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, could you give us, could you give us maybe three pieces of advice um, just in regards to everything you've learned in the last few years? Um, maybe something geared toward new couples and something geared toward long time fighting a lot kind of couples. Well, for new new couples and actually for all couples, the the principle that resistance breeds resistance mm. uh, it's, is really important. And so, what you want to do is acceptance breeds acceptance. So rather oh, wow. than resisting or fighting or feeling threatened by the other person's feeling, the critical thing is somehow or other create some some acceptance for what the other person's feeling. And the five-minute mm-hmm. rule works. Uh, there's a skill in the book called active listening, which is summarizing in your own words what the other person is feeling and thinking. A very valuable skill, but hard to do with the person with with whom you're very close and so forth. A uh, second principle that's really important is to communicate feelings rather than judgments. Uh, mm-hmm. if, even going back to the movie, if I come out and say, what a great movie, I've communicated a judgment, and if she didn't like the movie, we're, uh, we're, we're in trouble. We, we could even work it into a fight if we really, really try. Uh, on the other hand, if I come out and say, I really enjoyed that, she can say, I really had fun, or she can say, I really was bored. Mm-hmm. And uh, both both realities can exist side by side. Uh, so two feelings, two different feelings can coexist. Two different judgments can't. And so the thing to do mm-hmm. is communicate feelings rather than judgments. So I'm hurt, angry, sad, happy, confused, whatever, instead of... Uh, bad, good, inconsiderate, nasty, sure. all, the other, all the other things we say that's, that set it off. Um, those are probably the two most important things. I do in the book cover a problem-solving process, uh, steps to follow to solve a problem. 
And one of the important things about that is to have a common problem-solving process, even if you don't use the one that I've got on the book, wow. uh, that you have one that you can agree on so that when you're in a conflict, you, you both know where you stand and what the next step is and how you're going to move through to the next step and so on. That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, uh, let's, let's move into the power section here, as we call it. What is one book that you've read that's had a big impact on your life that you think our audience could benefit from as well? Well, I saw, I saw you were going to ask me that question. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that. Actually, the one I remember, uh, very significant at the time, but the time was about 40 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Peck's book, The, uh, the Road Less Traveled. And he makes he does a wonderful job of making the case for self examination and why you need to work on yourself and and work through your your things in order to be around other people and so forth and so on. And he also uh, helped a great deal with the the value of community. So at the oh, at, wow. at That's a good one. early in my career, uh, I had already kind of set up on a path of doing things psychological and so forth on myself and in my work. Uh, but that reinforced it quite a bit, uh, saying, uh, yeah, yes, that's an important important path and so on. But so he, he wrote a series of books, but the first one was The Road Less Traveled, mm-hmm. uh, which starts out with a, he's taken a line from Robert Frost and uh, used that as a title. Wow. That sounds like a really good read. How about uh, a quote that you live by or a saying? Well, a closest thing I would come up with is uh, that courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is the, is the requirement that you do what's necessary regardless of being afraid. And mm. uh, Nelson Mandela made, had a wonderful version of that then nice and cogent and so on. But for me, it was an experience I had uh, way back in college. I earned my way through college by working as a lineman for the power company during the summers. And we climbed up the big high-voltage towers, the metal towers, and we would clean off the insulators and so on. And these are, you know, 80 feet tall or something like that. And on the first First time I went up, I was slow and uh, it was it was painful. <laughs> every every step was a bit of terror and so forth. Uh, and that's what the, the guy next to me finally turned to me. The guy was supposed to showing me how to do this was simply yet, uh, you know, as, as he put it, you know, if you climb these towers and you're scared and you still do it, you're brave. If you climb these towers and you're not scared, you're a damn fool. Hmm. And uh, that that got through to me, and it's been an important lesson. That I, I think as a kid, I thought being courageous was to not be fearful. And wow, now I recognize that being fearful, you just part of the human condition, and you do what you need to do anyhow. Uh, such it is. <laughs> Well, if you could leave the world with one message, one golden nugget, what would that be? 
probably as close as I can get. I was going to say that's pretty good. <laughs> if you've got another one in there, you're just brilliant beyond it. Yeah. No, let's, let's leave it at that one. Okay. Okay. Well, how do Jim, how do we stay connected to you and how do we support you? Okay. Um, uh, you, you can material about the book you can get on James L. Creighton, C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, jameslcreighton.com. Uh, or if you're interested in the community work, it's jim at publicparticipation.com. Uh, the way, best way to support me right now is uh, go out and buy Loving Through Your Differences. And you can do that through uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble or IndieBound, oh, which is the Association of Independent Bookstores should be available in all local bookstores. That's great. And, uh, that's that's the starting point now. Got it. Okay. Well, last question for you. Uh, so we are called Rise Up For You. What comes to mind when you hear that phrase, Rise Up For You? That it gives me a sense of being supported, that you're rising up to help help me, help other people, so forth. And uh, mm. that you're learning to do this for yourself. Because the, the real person you have to rise up for is yourself. That's very true. Got I have to start somewhere. Well, uh, thank you so, so much for talking to us today. I know that was the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more to learn on all of uh, what you've been able to take in in this lifetime and reteach. Uh, so we will definitely look on those sites for your book and um, we'll put in the show notes, your website and everything like that. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this very, very important and uh, loving subject for all of us. We really appreciate that. Thanks. I enjoyed being with you. Thank you for joining us today on the Rise Up For You podcast series. We're here to serve you and inspire you to become your best self so that you can live a life that you are proud of. If you haven't already, head over to our website, riseupforyou.com, and explore through all that we have to offer. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there for exclusive materials sent to you weekly, and also subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any other major podcast channel. Join us for our next episode, but until we meet again, rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater you tomorrow.